This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff and Eric with you here. And Eric, it is happening. It is finally happening. And it happened so fast, I feel like we barely have had time to actually digest it. The big story, of course, that we are talking about right now, UCF is going to join the Big 12. Uh, the, the state of play as of Wednesday night, uh, Brandon Helwig reported it first. The Orlando Sentinel and uh, Jason Beatty had it uh, had it second that... Uh, UCF had submitted their application, such as it is, to the Big 12 Conference. The news broke late last week that UCF was among four teams that the Big 12 was going to invite into its league to replace Texas and Oklahoma, the others being BYU, Cincinnati, and Houston, which was, I think, probably the biggest surprise. Um, But the latest as of right now, according to Pete Thamel, is that the Big 12 Conference uh, has scheduled a meeting for Friday, September the 10th, at which they are expected to formalize the announcement that those four schools are joining. By the way, the other schools, I believe Cincinnati and Houston, have all reportedly ended their applications to join the Big 12 Conference. The General consensus right now, Eric Lopez, is that CF, Houston, BYU, and Cincy will begin play in the Big 12 in 2023. Whether or not Houston or Texas and Oklahoma are still there is kind of still up in the air. I know that you and a lot of other people have said, no, that's not going to happen. No. We haven't seen movement on that just yet. But I but before we get into all of the fine print, what do you think, man? I I, I feel like you know, we knew at, at some point we knew and we kind of always hoped that this moment would come, that UCF would join a power conference and have the access that we always that we for 25 years have always wanted it to have to the top levels of college football. And now it's happening. It's like it happened so fast. It's like you, now you all of a sudden you don't know how to react. So uh, what's your reaction to how quick this news happened? Well, I mean, it's the, we're seeing college athletics change before our very eyes. For the better, for the worse, that remains to be seen, but it's changing. Uh, yeah, look, I mean, things move quickly. It's funny when you go through a pandemic, how things kind of get expedited. I don't think if we have a pandemic, all of this is going on. But uh, things happen. It, you know, one thing leads to another. You get Texas and Oklahoma not feeling good about their TV terms with the Big 12 because they're not getting sec money they make the jump big 12 realizes hey we better make a move here or we could be blown up and uh now they're going to make their move and who knows how many moves left are there but there's going to be a rippling effect uh yeah it's unique it's very fascinating obviously it's going to get a lot of attention uh i know a lot of ucf fans are enjoying the fact that ucf's moving to the big 12 and south florida is not uh while that's rightfully so that you should be happy and then certainly gloat in that i wouldn't gloat too much because if the Big 12 decides to do a round two of expansion, which has been reported by Pete Thamel, don't be surprised if South Florida is included in that. But nonetheless, it's a, it's unique. It's a big step. 
it's the move you have to make if you UCF. You hope from a compensation standpoint, you'll make more money, more revenue, more exposure, uh, things like that. It remains to be seen whether the Big 12 will end up being a power five. In fact, I have really serious questions whether we will even have a power five by 2025, the way college athletics is going. I think we're headed for splits. But from a UCF standpoint, you want to be on the right side of this. Mm-hmm. And you are. And that's the big step is that you were put yourself in position to when this day comes you were ready to get picked and be on the right side on when this whole landscape of college athletics changes that you're on the right side of this and not on the wrong side of this that's the big takeaway here that UCF all the years going back to Steve Orsini even when they built started building the indoor facilities and the on-campus stadium and bringing in O'Leary and then just from conference to conference building 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 this is the moment right here through everybody that's been involved that's the moment you look at the schools that didn't get selected why they weren't selected because they're behind the times in facilities and in some and in also on the field performance UCF is ahead of the curve in on the field performance and facilities and that's why they're going to be a member of the big 12 officially probably on Friday to probably the fall of 2023 start play there we, we don't have any indication of what the actual terms are. And actually, later on in the show, uh, I spoke with uh, 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 earlier today. We'll play this later in the show. I spoke with Matt Brown, formerly of SB Nation, currently of the Extra Points newsletter, my old boss. Uh, and uh, he had a great breakdown of, what he, of where he sees this thing going. Nobody knows the business of college sports better than Matt. So you're going to want to listen to that interview next. But in terms of the business, this is... Um, Mark Daniels actually uh, wrote about this earlier today. This is a tremendous, let's just call this what it is. This is a tremendous financial windfall for UCF athletics. Uh, Mark said earlier today, I think in his column, Eric, and uh, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I think that UCF stands to make something like $250 to $300 million based on this move alone. And well, you're for, right when you include, yeah, the pending TV contracts yeah. and everything like that. Yeah. So now, I mean, it's that contract goes through 2025. That's two years, 2023, 2024, 2025, three years, actually, that UCF is going to be a part of that current TV contract with the Big 12, assuming it doesn't get renegotiated by then. Obviously, there are some renegotiations things, renegotiating yeah. things that are going to happen, though. Right? Well, and don't be shocked and don't be alarmed. If on Friday they say that they will join fall of 2024, that's just for legality. Because remember, UCF, Houston, and Cincinnati have to give their official notice to the American 27 months in advance. If you do the math, 24 months takes you to what? uh, The middle of January 2020. We're in 2021. January 2020. It's December 2023, I believe. Something yeah. like that, right? So depending on when it, it's all implied there, so you you still have some work. So don't be surprised if initially they say fall of 2024, but they try to negotiate it to where they could start in the fall of 2023. Because I think I think at the end of the day, everybody that has to that wants to be where they want to be will be there by the fall of 2023. I think that's where we're headed with all this. Mm-hmm. Are you surprised that the Big Twelve kind of circled the wagons as quickly as they did? Because no. <laughs> we were we were recording this show yeah. right a couple weeks ago. Yeah, when it looked like Bob Bowlesby was just having a, a, a the commissioner of the Big Twelve was just 
ranting to Dennis Dodd and Dennis was almost, it almost felt like he was live tweeting it in a way, um, sure. you know, you know, pumping out a couple of posts that same <laughs> with Bowlesby accusing the American and, and their television and the big 12's television partner ESPN of basically conspiring to kill the league. Right. And in the process, you know, really what I thought hurting the big 12's television value in the process, are you surprised that, they somehow just pulled all this together so quickly and said, okay, that Texas and Oklahoma are gone. Guys, we got to rally the troops and strike while the iron's hot. No, because nobody wants them. <laughs> like the ACC, once the ACC Big Ten, the big turning point in this is when the ACC Big Ten and Pac-12 kind of did this alliance. And we kind of mocked it because there's no contract. And we're like, what does this really mean? Well, one of the things it means is they're not going to expand. And it means like, we don't want you left over eight. And I've talked to people in the Big 12. They kind of came to that realization. It's like, man, no doors are going to open. So we better do something here or we're going to have a gunshot in our head here. So I think they realize we're in dire straits here. Let's get our act together. And I think the biggest evidence of that, Jeff, is the fact that Houston is included in that. Can you yeah. imagine? Think about how big the egos in the Texas schools. For those Texas schools to swallow that and say, yeah, we're going to let Houston in. That These are the t- same schools, by the way, mm-hmm. that left Houston out when the South conference yep. disbanded in 1995. And blocked and, them five years ago. And blocked them five years ago. And it and the feelings, go ask our friends from the Scott and Holman podcast, right? Yeah. Their feelings are still bitter Correct. to this day over that. So think about, think about the fact they're willing to let them in. Tells you how dire it is. Like, if we don't do this, we have to do what we got to do to survive. And to, you know, be appealing. And that's what they're doing. They're letting Houston in. Because really, you could argue by letting Houston in, if you're Texas Tech and Baylor, you're basically allowing Houston now to have all the same resources that you have. I think I'm not the only one in this, but I think Houston's going to blow past those two schools now once they get to an equal footing here. But yeah, because the, fact- the other thing is, like, they're geographically, they're in East Texas. Yes. You lose Austin. Yes. You gain Houston, which is the number, what, six TV market in the country? Whatever, which is a big factor. Mike Gundy's talked about that. that. Yeah. Recruiting as well. So the fact you're willing to let your your nemesis in tells you how dire the situation is. I know some people are like upset. They think that they should have picked Memphis over Houston. Nonsense. Here's the big thing. And again, it goes back to facilities because I've been to Houston a bunch of times. Houston has their football on campus stadium. They've been working on that just like they've been like UCF. They have their own ba- uh, football uh, stadium. They have their own just basketball arena. They built it, by the way, a couple years ago. Just the basketball rebuilt. arena. That basketball team, by the way, just got to the final four. Let's not lose fact that basketball does matter in this. Just whereas, renovated that arena, too. Correct. Whereas Memphis is still playing in the dump in the Liberty Bowl. Okay. If you look at why Memphis and USF right now are looking out, they're one is playing in the Liberty Bowl. The other one is playing in an NFL stadium. And boy, how amusing is it that all of a sudden South Florida just came to this idea. Hey, let's build an on-campus football stadium, guys. What do you think? <laughs> hey. Let me, um, let me, yeah, we got to talk about that for a second because uh, the schadenfreude on social media among UCF uh, fans toward USF uh, is real. And uh, to use a Josh Hypelism. And the 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 self-flagellation on the usf side is something to watch right now um i'm on the record as happy and i i think you fall in the in this camp too that when ucf and usf are both good 
That's good for the state of Florida. That's good for the conferences that they're in. But let's face it, in the final analysis, they had a 10-year lead on UCF, and they've blown it. Well, they've they blew because of their own ego. They blew because of their own ego, ego. And their own complacency. They blocked UCF. It's been well-known. Judy Genshaft, who's the president, blocked UCF from going to the Big East back in the 2000s. This was this could have been a partnership. This could have been UCF USF together for the last two decades, going from conference to conference. They both could have been in prosper. Instead, they blocked UCF because they're like, no, not thinking long term because they're travel partners. And now what happened? I don't think they ever saw the day where UCF would pass them. But UCF, while they did that, they went from conference to conference. They built their facilities. They built uh, their on-campus facility uh, stadium. The coaches they win games. USF has kind of stayed stale and then they were blindsided by the whole Big East thing and they just haven't been able to recover so we'll see if they recover now I do think Michael Kelly's the right guy I just don't know if it's too late or not we'll see but I think it's not an accident they're coming out with that news because I think the Big 12 basically told them upgrade your facilities and upgrade your on the field product if you want to be considered if we go to 16. Well well, today was their groundbreaking for their (laughs) uh indoor uh football practice facility and I believe the story about them all of a sudden going all in on an on-campus stadium came from one member of their board of trustees. So we'll see if they're really serious about it. I mean, yeah. for their sake, I, I, I know I'm going to catch flack for this, but no, for their sake, I hope they do. Because I think that having UCF and USF together in the Big 12 would be tremendous, tremendous. Uh, probably for the Big 12. Probably for the Big 12. Yeah, probably for the Big 12. For both schools, I really do believe that. But um, they did it to themselves. I don't. Right. I don't think UCF. I, I'll say this: UCF should not help them. They they will not, and I don't think they will help them uh, unless they have to at the end, where they know it's like there's no other choice. See, that's okay. That's an interesting. That's another interesting thing. Like let's say it comes down, you know, a couple years down the road, it, and and USF is trying to position itself as the as being ready for the Big Twelve. Does what does UCF do when it comes down to it? It depends what the, the landmark situation is. I don't think they're going to go out of their way to say, yeah, bring them in. You know, I don't think they're going to do that. If TV wants it to happen, it's going to happen. If TV doesn't care, it won't. Simple as yeah. that. That's and, true. you know, I think that's the, the bottom line. And I'm not, conv- you know, I think what the Big 12 might do, if they go to 16, I think they're going to go to the Mountain West and take teams from there. They're going to look West. Because you got to add teams with BYU, maybe, a, you know, Boise or whoever. I think Memphis could be. Because here's the thing. For UCF, from a travel partner standpoint, if you're the Big 12, you could go with Memphis or you could go with South Florida. And that might, you know, might determine what they want, what direction they want to go with that. But that's down the road for now for UCF is you're going to the Big 12. You're going to make more money, which is all what this is all about. And really, there's no more excuses in that regard. You're going to have bigger revenue. Like if you're a basketball fan, there's no more excuses about not going to games because Mm -hmm. you're going to go the premier college basketball conference in the sport it is like ticket prices are going to be are going to jump and it's going to be rightfully so because of the opponent so that's where ucf is going to make money think about it they could double probably the season tickets for bas- men's basketball and make money because yeah. of the teams that are coming in like kansas and baylor who's the defending national champions teams like that is going to rake in interest Oklahoma state's been good for forever yeah, exactly you know, it, it goes on uh, and on yeah so other leagues like that, and we'll get into that more down the road is, is once this becomes official, but that's kind of the thinking there with UCF. 
And obviously it's going to help their scheduling. Cause I think what's going to happen is the big 12 is probably going to go to a nine game is going to go a nine game schedule conference that actually might help Terry Mahajer from a non-conference standpoint. Cause we've talked about in past episodes of the issues they're having scheduling non-conference games. Mm-hmm. Well, now you may only have to fill three per year. Right. That's a good point. That's a good point. So, so now what's the timeline? We're going to hear this. We're, we're more than likely going to have a formal announcement on Friday. We haven't heard anything about a press conference yet, at least as of right now. Stay with us on UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter for the latest news on anything that does break. Um, and then what? I mean, there's going to be a phase of negotiations. Matt Brown's going to go into this a little bit more, a little bit, a little bit later, but there's going to be a negotiation phase. And here's where I think uh, – the, the con, there's a consensus among the experts is that that TV money is not going to come flowing in immediately. They're going to phase in deal, which is exactly what the big 12 did with TCU and West Virginia in their first three years, they got a 50%, 67%, 85% share of the media money. And then in the fourth year, they finally got a hundred. So if UCF, it, let's say they do the same thing with UCF, Cincy, BYU and Houston. Well, year number one is 23, supposedly. I know, and obviously you're going to hear the formality of 2024. It can get negotiated sooner, as we saw with UConn, right? Because they didn't give 27 months notice. They just paid an extra $7 million and they got out. Correct. Um, The situation with the Big 12 is, okay, 2023, 2024, 2025. Then you go into the new deal. And I, I, that, that contract wise lines up. So again, we're going to have to wait and see. There's still this, there's still this wait and see with Texas. Well, Oklahoma we don't, right the big, right, we don't know the big, what they're going to do, how they're going the to big, sell that. And, out. and the big thing is how much money are they going to get in a new TV deal? Is it going to yeah. be 15 million a year? I know you're going to get into that with Matt. Is it going to be 15? Is it going to be 20? You know, that's where, who's carrying the games. I think it's going to be multiple networks, but I do think ESPN will still be a part of it, but I don't think it'll be tier one. So is it CBS? Is it Fox? Who is They it? still have the Big 12 Now platform yep. on ESPN Plus, which is ESPN Plus has been a godsend for that and the Olympic sports, as we both know firsthand. Well, you're going to have a new QCF disclosure. series this year, by the way, on ESPN yeah. Plus, which you can watch right now on ESPN Plus. Right. But I, I think this, and I've said this, I don't believe ESPN is just going to dismiss the Big 12. I think they would have preferred the Big 12 not to be around. However, it's around, so it wasn't like they were going to they're, – they're still going to win here. Because whatever they end up paying the Big 12 is still going to be a discount compared to what they would have paid if it was Oklahoma and Texas still there. True. And I don't think ESPN really cares if they get tier one football rights because they're going to have the SEC. They're going to have ACC football. They're going to have games that double the TV numbers that whatever game you put on the Big 12. They're going to want that basketball in tier two. That's the one. The big Mondays, that's yep. the big one where the big day and back men's basketball, women's hoops, baseball. I mean, that's where the big one, especially in men's basketball, because that's one of their big babies. That that and the ACC basketballs, they're two big, big, big net, uh, mm-hmm. conferences they use for content. So I agree. That's the key. So I think ESPN will still be a part of it. The question is, where is the football game going to air? Really, that's really what it comes down to. We'll, we'll find out eventually. Let me just say this, too. For all of the media people and administrators in the future that's going to complain about Hey, why is the volleyball team traveling to Provo? That's too much budget. Why don't we just do regional conferences? Shut up. Okay. <laughs> Shut your mouth because it's not the Olympic sports fault that you're sending all these teams to weird places. It's football's fault. So it's your problem. You're making more than enough money. And if you 
I don't know if, if, if the media people and the you know people that complain about this, this is 2021. I don't know if you've heard, there's this thing called an airplane. It, it really works cool. You can fly wherever you want pretty quickly at pretty reasonable prices. And it just so happens, for example, like Orlando to Salt Lake is only four hours. You can get a pretty good price and then bust 30 minutes to Salt Lake, which is actually easier to get to than to get to places like Wichita State and Tulsa, which they're currently on. But I don't want to hear any administrators, any media, local guys, national media guys are going to, well, this is such a joke. College athletic system's a joke. Why the volleyball team's losing money, softball's losing money because they're traveling all over. No, this is football's deal, right? You lie in the bed, you live with it. I don't want to hear complaints because you're all making money. There, I've sent my rant. <laughs> uh we're gonna take a quick i mean there's so many pieces to this that we're still gonna that we're still gonna sort out and we're still trying to react to here we're gonna take a quick break here when we return we'll hear from matt brown uh formerly of sb nation currently at the extra points uh newsletter he also has his own podcast and then we'll bring in drew glukov to talk about his reactions to the news what this means for UCF football going forward. And then, oh, by the way, there's a football game this weekend against Bethune-Cookman. Allegedly. Allegedly. Uh, I would argue it's a scrimmage. Well, all I know is that I'm there and I'm going to be bringing, I'm going to have to bring the full, bring the full pain that day. Uh, stick around. The Black and Gold Banneret podcast is back after this. Well, welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret podcast on Big 12 Eve here uh, with UCF on the verge of joining the big 12 conference. There's only one person that I really wanted to get on here. And he's the smartest guy that, uh, that I've ever read or listened to about the true business of college sports, Matt Brown, of course, our former boss at SB nation. He's since gone indie with his uh, newsletter, extra points, um, which you should subscribe to if you're a college sports fan, or even if you're interested in college sports, business and and the college sports media business in particular really interesting we had a lot to talk about in this discussion about the big 12 where he what was the turning point for this and what ucf fans can expect from how the the business part of this deal is going to go down uh as we progress into the middle part of this decade which is when all these contracts come up and what are we going to see in terms of you know what value UCF adds to the Big 12 and what would be the future of the uh, of UCF's conference relationship so that and more with Matt Brown joining us now on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast my old boss at SB Nation who has found a greener pastures no longer working for the man Matt Brown who writes the extra points newsletter an outstanding writer and reporter in his own right who has been following the conference realignment uh, situation from the very beginning when he started the newsletter. You must subscribe to it if you don't already. Matt Brown EP on Twitter. Matt, it's good to hear from you and see you again. How are you? Uh, man, man I'm, I'm doing very well. It's good It's good to hear from you too. We are, uh, we are blessed to be in the college football world during very interesting times uh, for, for, for good or for, for ill. Um, I'm, I'm happy to be chatting you ch- chatting with you now because there's a whole lot that's going to impact UCF. Yeah, and uh, well, well, it's like it's like that old Chinese proverb, proverb right? Or, or old Chinese blessing: "May you live in interesting times." And boy, do we live in interesting times right now. Yes, yes sir. Um, obviously, the big news is the Big Twelve. We're recording this right now on Tuesday around noon Eastern time. 
the plan timeline for the Big 12's uh, apparent transition to move to, to add four teams, UCF, Cincinnati, Houston, and BYU, will start Wednesday uh, with a formal vote scheduled at the conference meeting on Friday. Of course, things could change. We have no idea, but you know, basically from everywhere that we're seeing, this is about this is all but done. So, assuming that's the truth, and I know this is a big assumption, but Matt, four weeks ago, all right, the Big 12 looked like it was done. It looked like it was over. Texas and Oklahoma were leaving. Bob Bowlesby was just going off to Dennis Dodd in a late night rant, it looked like. And it looked like this thing was, it looked like this league was about to implode. But now they're not only still together, the remaining eight are, but they're trying to fix the house by adding four more. So what changed in the last four weeks? Um, you know, a couple of things, right? The, the big concern was that one of the remaining eight teams or, or multiple of the remaining eight teams was going to go somewhere else. And you heard a lot about hey, we, the remaining schools like, no, we're staying together. We, we, we have we work well together. We're, we're, we're putting on a brave face here in the press conferences. And on the Zoom calls, but as soon as those calls were done, everybody was texting everybody else. And right, if 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 Kansas could have gotten in the Big Ten, or West Virginia could have gotten in the ACC, or any of these other schools could have gotten in the in the Pac-12, they would have done it immediately, and and they still would. Um, but it became pretty clear that none of them individually were especially attractive to any of the other institutions. And so then your best bet really is just get together and figure out how to drive value and make the best possible situation for yourselves um, in, in, in your remaining conference. And, and when, when that was the case, then it becomes a pretty simple conversation of what schools add the most value, what schools give us the best athletic product possible and give us the most flexibility moving forward. And I, I think uh, the, the four schools that are, that are being mentioned here are, are likely those four schools that would be able to do that. We here at UCF um, have been down this road before many times. I've chronicled it going back almost 25 years where um, UCF has wanted to get into a power conference, end quote, and it's always been out of reach due to any number of factors having to do with UCF or the conference as a whole. Obviously, 2013, the move to the Big East, <laughs> which eventually kind of imploded and then became the American, but this time, what pushed UCF over the top? The the biggest difference now is the they have they have more leverage, right? <laughs> like you know, in these other conversations, uh, UCF needed the Big Twelve more than the Big Twelve needed them, or needed anybody really for that matter, because they still had Texas and Oklahoma. They still had flagship uh, programs to give them some kind of of long term sustainability, and um, they weren't negotiating from a position of weakness. Now, the Big 12 needs teams. It needs bodies, and it not only needs bodies, but it needs, it needs programs with potential upside that are not only strong and have fans that are invested and care about it now, but are programs that could potentially grow and do more in the future. Um, and there, I, I think it's, it's pretty, pretty clear that the number one choice is BYU, particularly as far as, as television value is concerned. But then it's it's pretty clear that UCF is immediately right right in that conversation. You have football and basketball programs uh, and many Olympic sports that are ready to win now. You have an institution that is ready to to break ground on a really ambitious facilities project. You have an enormous enrollment 
in a in a top twenty growing market, not just in terms of of, tel- of eyeballs, TV eyeballs, but in terms of corporate money that that's coming in. And now, when when the Big Twelve is is, is in a position of weakness, um, that puts makes UCF a much more attractive partner than it was a couple of years ago. So now that they're finally going to get that almighty you know feather in their cap of being a member of a quote power conference, but you wrote today uh, in your newsletter extra points that the question why twelve remain a power conference really isn't the right question to ask. And I know a lot of UCF fans are saying, hey, we're going to be part of the power club. But, you know, you made a couple of good points in, in your newsletter about, you know, kind of hold on just a second because things are still evolving. So what's the what's the state of play now for where UCF and the Big 12 are going to figure in the power structure of college football and college athletics going forward over the next five to 10 years? Yeah, I think it's important to interrogate what we mean when we say power conference, um, because a lot of that's based on some assumptions that there's absolutely no guarantee we'll continue moving forward. Right. There's this. OK, you are a quote unquote, you know, power conference. That means you are designated as an autonomy conference and NCAA bylaws that gives you more administrative power to set and advocate for policies that the rest of college athletics doesn't necessarily have to follow. And if, if you join the Big 12, you will still be in that group. Um, that's like, multiple administrators have told me that. Here's the big question. Um, we have no guarantee that that's going to continue to exist in three years because the entire NCAA constitution is, is potentially being rewritten. We don't know if there's going to be an autonomy conference designation in 2024. We don't know if college football will be part of the NCAA substructure or even college basketball for that matter. So I think getting really hung up on being in that particular club when there could be a completely new club uh, very shortly, like that is, I wouldn't spend a whole lot of, of, of time worrying about that, right? If you join the Big 12 now, you are going to have access to the Big 12's bull ties, which are not just an automatic bid into the New Year's Six, but uh, access to the Alamo Bowl, access to the Texas Bowl, which you know is a, is a, gives you an SEC matchup, uh, to the Cheez-It Bowl, which is, of course, very important to college football internet. Um, and those are better than what you have with the American Athletic. That's that, that's a nice positive, but um, that only lasts insofar as the next college football playoff contract. And we don't really know what that's going to look like yet. We we anticipate it's going to involve an expanded playoff, but that's less certain. And and how that that looks is less certain now than it was a month ago. Does that mean that the conference champion gets an automatic bid? Maybe, maybe not. Does it mean that you have the same bowl ties in uh, in 2026? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe the Cotton Bowl or the Sugar Bowl or hell, maybe the Alamo Bowl become playoff games. Maybe they cease to exist. Like, who knows? I, I think there's a lot of social media chatter, particularly among re- remaining eight and UCF and BYU fans about the long-term viability of, of, of being a power conference. We have no idea if that's a thing in 2025. Uh, and that, that's true whether the Big 12 adds UCF or the Kansas City Chiefs or Brownsville High School. Like we, we, we don't know if that, if that designation will continue. What we do know is that recent history and recent stats tell us that the Big 12 with UCF, BYU, Houston, and Boise projects to be a competitive conference. Projects to be a conference that's competitive on average with the Pac-12, if not better than the Pac-12, and with the, everybody in the ACC outside of Clemson. Um, and that could you know, change even more if Kansas becomes regular bad instead of FCS bad. Um, there are some concerns about 
whether there's any team that can recruit at a high enough level to be competitive for national title in football. There are concerns about the sustainability of the basketball growth, I think, from some of these other schools heading into a much more difficult conference. And there's some concerns about whether the Pac-12 is, is a historically bad right now or whether that's the, the new normal. Um, but you can't control any of those things. Like all, all you know is that right now in this current structure, which could blow up in two years, you're in the club. And you should be a good, maybe not elite, but a good college football conference. And it's certainly better to be in the club not, right? I mean, if they stayed, oh, yeah. in, the, if they stayed in the America, I mean, that's, you know, that's one thing. But at least if you're, if you're already in there, even for, you know, no matter how short a time it is, you know, that's where you want to be. At least you're going to have some say, right? It's definitely better to be in the club than not be in the club. Even if you're, okay, you're not the SEC. Well, you're going to make more money when you did in the American. You never have to go to Tulsa or ECU again if you don't want to. You never have to go to Temple again if you don't want to. You're going to be against teams that have bigger budgets, and your budget's going to be able to increase. And for a couple of years anyway, you're guaranteed better bowl games. You know, that's great. You know, to, to what extent that that looks like in 10 years, you don't know. I don't know. Oresco doesn't know. Your athletic director doesn't know. Um, and we'll see what that looks like moving forward. But you're definitely going to be in a better position now than you would have been six months ago. All right. So. So now let's let's back to a little bit more shorter term based on what you're what you've been hearing. Um, what's the plan for how transition is going to work? Are, is there going to be some cross Texas and Oklahoma maybe staying for here? Uh, are there any ideas being thrown about around about how divisions are going to break down? What are you hearing from how this is going to work, at least in the near term? In the near term, my understanding is that the absolute earliest this could happen would be 2023. And other than that, there's not really anything set in stone. Like, is it possible that there could be a year of overlap with Texas and Oklahoma? Yes. But, you know, that's also still being lawyered right now. And if the, the Big 12 thinks they can get a little bit more money and exit fees by negotiating an earlier exit, they're, they're going to do it. Um, there's also, I think, a question on UCS side about negotiating their exit fee here with the American because based on current league bylaws, they can't go in the, for the 2023 football season. Um, they haven't given enough notice. Now, I, I would be very surprised if they're still there in 2024. I imagine you're going to see a similar situation with UConn where they pay more exit fee money to leave early. Um, that might be 17 million. It might be 15 million. It might be 20 million. I, I don't know. Like it, that's I've joked about this a lot on extra points, but the only truly undefeated force in college athletics is billable hours. Um, and so that's going to be a question for, for attorneys and, and people negotiating but, you know, in, in the next three or four years, I would anticipate UCF's going to be in, in the Big 12. I don't think they're going to be in that league with Texas for more than a year if, if that happens. And how much everybody has to pay to get in there and what UCF's actually going to make in that first year, um, that's unclear. That's going to depend on negotiations. Yeah. Could some of the schools that in the little eight, so to speak, still leave between now and then? Like we've heard all the time. I mean, the West Virginia fans are all up in the mentions saying, gosh, this is terrible. Just fold the football program. Uh, if they, is it possible that, for example, they could still go to the ACC? I guess how, how solid is the, the club right now within the Big 12? I know I, I would be surprised if any of the remaining eight leave for another power league in the next two years. I think if that was something that had a reasonable chance of happening, it would, it would already happen. And, and the longer you know, they, they have to wait, then the, the more expensive and more complicated than that can become. Mm 
I don't want to say it's impossible. And like, this is the truth of the situation is they're, they're going to be constantly trying. And that was the case with the American, right? You had a weird situation here where one of the only things that really kind of tied all these schools together is that they were all trying to leave. Um, and, and it, it, you know, it was, it's kind of weird to see like the big chest puffing about, you know, power six and American pride and everything on social media, because everybody knows every other school in that league would crawl across broken glass to, to get into another, another league. And like, that's true for conference USA right now too. Uh, and that's something that, you know, that's going to be part of the conversation in the big 12 for forever because everyone's going to want to be in something else that they can get it. But it would surprise me. I think if any of the remaining teams left because, it's uh, the consultants and the league staffs have, are pretty much already demonstrated. They don't drive enough financial and, and athletic value to, to do that right now. Yeah. What about further expansion? This group of b- beyond this group of four, yeah. Hoka, the um, Texas tech athletic director to the possibility of two phases of expansion. He was on with their uh, Texas tech's radio crew at halftime. weekend. Uh, do you think, be a next phase of additional big expansion after Texas and Oklahoma leave and go when and whom? I, I think it's possible. Um, I don't think it's an accident that that tech that Hokut mentioned that I'd heard the same thing out of Iowa State. I'd heard that same thing from a couple other consultants. Um, I think they want to go through this process and, and check the math. Part of that's going to depend on how much money they get from Texas and Oklahoma and when that actually happens and, and what their their various partners are pushing for. Um, there's going to be multiple teams that would make, I, I think, reasonably attractive options, right? I mean, if we're just looking at quality of football, Boise State is better than Houston by a lot and honestly better than BYU um, over, over the last decade, and, and that would make this product better. Um, I don't think there's an enormous difference athletically and even financially between Houston and Memphis. I would imagine that would be a team that would be in this conversation. And then it, it, I think it's just going to depend on what the American wants and what the Big 12 wants to be structurally. Do they want to be a national league? Well, San Diego State is calling literally everybody they possibly can to get out of the Mountain West, um, as is Colorado State. If you want to go pick out another team or two from the American, there's, there's going to be options there. If you want to take a swing on a developing program, the, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a market that has some potential, maybe you go grab UAB. Um, there's, there's, there's not really a huge difference between like, I mean, I, I, I personally think Boise should be the first call, but other than Boise, I don't think there's a big financial uh, athletic administrative difference between teams two and team seven on that list. Um, it, it's just going to depend on, on what TV partners and uh, what the league itself wants to be. If anything, that Thursday night into Friday morning game between UCF and Boise State kind of showed you a preview of what that would be like. And first, a great game that actually retained over 800,000 viewers deep into, or into early Friday morning. I mean, that was, and, and it was a great game. I mean, wouldn't that be fun to be a conference? <laughs> but um, let me ask you also about real brass tacks here. All right. So um, Dennis Dodd from CBS reported that his industry sources, claim that the new Big 12 would get something like 20 to $25 million per school per year in the open market in terms of, uh, in terms of television revenue. Does that square with what you heard, uh, what, what they would be in terms of what that new would be worth? Obviously, you know, the legacy schools are taking a bit of a bath, but, but Endus for a school like UCF is making seven, an average of 
million a year in the in, in a highly backloaded. Yeah, I, I have to be honest. Um, that would surprise me. I think twenty five million would be a, you would throw a parade uh, if that what you were able to get. You know, like last month, what what I was hearing was closer to fifteen or sixteen, and it would be possible to get to twenty five. Um, depending on how much the league is willing to paywall their stuff and who they end up working with. I, I could imagine these rights potentially being more valuable to CBS or NBC or an entity that's trying to reestablish a foothold or gain a new foothold in college athletics than they would be to ESPN or Fox. And that's something that these schools are going to have to juggle is do we want to grab the highest amount of money possible? Do we want the highest amount of exposure possible? Are we willing to split these rights between two potential partners? Um, I think it is very reasonable to expect a significant raise from seven million from the American, but um, I, twenty even would, would 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 surprise me a little bit. If, if you're getting to that high, that would make me think that this is not ESPN Fox being the the major bidder for these rights, and that more stuff is going to be paywalled. Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting, Matt. The uh, you know, like for example, when we we've talked for years about you know, the Big 12's third tier rights and how they were just this mass conglomeration of stuff that went everywhere. You know, what happens with that next TV contract? Do you see Bob Bowlesby kissing and making up with ESPN or is that bridge burned? And would you, what would you put your money on? Do they go to CBS or NBC? Do they try to shoehorn in on Fox? Where do you see this going? Great question. And, and part of that depends on who's going to be making the deal, because I don't think there's any guarantee that Bowlesby ends up being the commissioner that's um, uh, it, running everything here. I mean, the man's already 69 years old. I don't think he was projected to be a part of the the, the league leadership for the next decade anyway. That's going to present an opportunity to go in a different direction as you're as you're expanding. Um, so that's that's one question. I know some presidents still really, really like him. I would imagine that ESPN is the least is, is less likely. And I think that would have been true even before um, Bowlesby kind of went nuclear <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, you know, attacked ESPN's like integrity and, and corporate leadership here. Right. Like um, there, there's going to be plenty of other entities interested, right? Not just CBS and, and NBC and, and flow sports, obviously for maybe some of these tier three rights, but I, I, I wouldn't expect Netflix. I wouldn't expect, even Amazon, certainly not Facebook, to, to be heavily involved. But there, there's the potential for some other streaming company wanting wanting a chunk of these. I think there's going to be a lot of pressure for the remaining eight schools to maximize revenue, knowing that even if they do, they're taking a best case scenario, like a $12, $15 million haircut over the rest of this decade. And they're going to do that partly by kneecapping what schools like UCF and BYU make from the very beginning. They're definitely not going to get a full share uh, of revenue from the from the start, I, I would imagine that that's it's going to take a couple of years to get to that point. They're going to take all the big exit fee money from from Texas and Oklahoma, but I, I would imagine that a, a a combination between CBS, Fox, and potentially NBC would be more likely than, than a major partnership here with ESPN. So what you're saying is, I really do, I really should subscribe to Peacock now. Is what you're saying? I really have to do that now. <laughs> I, what I what I would say is, if you're going to subscribe to anything, let's subscribe to extra points here first, and then let's keep an eye on 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 what other streaming service that you might end up needing here in a couple of years. Might yeah. be more than one. Yeah, you're right. Well, tell oh, well Matt Brown from uh, or, or Matt Brown of the Extra Points newsletter, his own proprietary 
newsletter, which is for my money, the best in college football and the best in college sports, really, who uh, in terms of how he breaks everything down in terms of the business of college sports. And it is a business. Matt, give us the best way. Well, I mean, obviously, we know the best way is to subscribe to Extra Points, but uh, give us all the other places that um, we can that we UCF fans can follow you and gain from your insight. Sure. Yeah, the, the, the best way is extrapointsmb.com publishes four days a week two of those are free two of those are behind a paywall that's how i, I pay my bills um it's a, not, not just about conference realignment it's about business it's about higher education stories it's about media and name image and likeness and all, all of those kinds of stories uh you can follow me at matt brown ep on twitter as well or shoot me an email extrapointsmb.com Thank you so much. It's always good to talk to you. And, and on a personal note, you know, I'm you know, forever grateful for what you did for me and for us at Black and Gold Banneret when we onboarded with SB Nation. Um, it's a, I'm, I still owe you so much. And, and thank you once again for your support. And like I said, I, uh, it, it, folks, if you don't subscribe to Matt's newsletter, like what are you doing with your life? Get on there. Matt, thank you so much. Stay in touch. And I'm sure we'll be talking again down the road, all right? You bet. Hey, listen, it's, it's my pleasure. Um, excited to see what else the site ends up doing in the, in the near future. And I'm sure we'll talk again soon. You got it, man. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Matt Brown. Extra points is the newsletter. It's so good to talk to him. And he's so, he's just so insightful about everything that we've heard from it, you know, with sports business. I mean, we were talking, we, he and I traded a lot of messages back when we first joined SB nation about the American Zoo television contract. And he really taught me a lot about how, um, uh, about, you know, what sort of things to look for with this and what are some of the things that we don't see that so often don't get publicly reported about, um, uh, about how these deals all go down. So, and who benefits and who doesn't. So really thankful to Matt. So we got a lot Still to talk about. Drew Glukov is now in the house with us. He's going to, we're going to preview the BCU football game here in a little bit. But Drew, first, your reaction now that we have you in here on this move to the Big 12. You know, we always thought it would happen one day and now it's here and we're like, oh my gosh, like this is happening. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, it's happening. It's uh, happening. No one would have thought that Oklahoma and Texas would quick, quietly jump the way they did. Uh, you you would think there would have been a lot more fanfare and movement to it, but it just kind of just snuck up. And, and I got to give a lot of credit to those two schools and and the SEC upper brass for keeping that really really you know quiet for as long as they did. Um, this is uh, this is something that us OGs or, or us old fans have never never really thought it was coming because UCF was always a step behind. They were always behind. They joined the Sun Belt when all the good schools left the Sun Belt. They were stuck in Atlantic. And then they didn't stay in it before it reconstituted itself. Yeah, they stayed for a year and then left for the 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 TAC, aka the Atlantic Sun. Stayed there for a baker's dozen. And while that happened, Conference USA got rolling. UCF was late to that party. And then they were always one step behind joining the Big East and the Big East falls apart. You have the American. Now you're joining the Big 12. Yeah, you're losing. The Big 12 is losing the biggest two schools of the conference. But all signs point that this conference is still going to be far more valuable than from where UCF is coming from. 
So I guess you could say they've made it. Uh, yeah, obviously this will come out tomorrow uh, officially. You know, the, the official vote hasn't quite happened yet, but all signs say it's a formality at this point. Conferences don't open the door for applications to be sent in unless you have the votes needed to get an official invitation. Yep. So I, I think at this point, it's just a formality. Uh, Friday is going to be big. And, and then the clock starts. Uh, the clock officially starts the moment the schools send the letter to the Americans saying, we're leaving. Uh, right now, it's 27 months. All signs point that it's going to be negotiated down to 22, 23, whatever it leads to that July 1st date. And July 21st, 2023 is my projected date that UCF will be a proud member of the Big 12 Conference. Yeah. It's, um, man, all of a sudden, I, it's like all of a sudden it's happening. Well, all of a look, sudden it's happening. It's amazing to me. We've been around long enough. We were there during the independent days. Yep. We were there during the dark days of the Mac, and that was three rough years. That was not a lot of fun. Uh, mostly because yeah, that first year was pretty fun, but we had some, we had some tight ones that we dropped. That first year was pretty fun in the match. And then it imploded. Now the wheels and fell it off and so burst well. in the flames. Yeah. Uh, we, we were there for the conference USA run, you know, obviously through the American, we, we've seen a lot from the Atlantic sun and have a lot of great memories of games in the garage and all this other stuff. And it just shows how far <laughs> things have come from that little intimate glorified high school arena to you know, the big, the, time. Arena, the big time arena that we have today from a cavernous, you know, citrus bowl. And I remember being in the marching band. It was, it was 2003. We were playing UAB. Uh, no, it wasn't. It was Kent State. It was right after uh, Thanksgiving. And there may have been 8,000 people in a 65,000 seat stadium. I mean, it was practically empty. It was the most humbling feeling in the world because basically you're playing to nobody. And now you have a stadium that is routinely selling out now. I mean, boy, how far have we come? And I say we because we're products of the system. We, we were, were alums. We, we've been part of it. We've, we've bled for the school as we've gone through our times working either in sports or music, whatever. Uh, to see the finished product finally get out of the kitty section, off the, out past the kitty table, and get to sit with the grown-ups. I mean, that that's just something. That's just nothing short of amazing. I tell you the one thing that that I was thinking about today when I was really thinking about it is like now is the time when, you know, as a fan base and as a program, you, I think we learned a very important lesson in all of this from USF. Like, you know, like Eric and I alluded to in the first segment prior to the break, is just because you get in the club doesn't mean you can rest on your laurels. Now, now you really got to hit the throttle and, and, and I hope we never lose that, that thing that I think it's really part of the UCF brand now, don't you guys, that it's, it's the chip on the shoulder. It's uh, it's, it's, you know, barging into the house and being like, Hey, you know, the champ is here, right? Like, you know, I, I, I love that about this school's ethos. And it's been that way for so long. And um, yeah, I, I really do believe that, that we got to keep it now. Like now's the time we have to, you know, barge into the lion's den with our hair on fire, like Brian Billick said, right? Well, I think, think about this, you know, UCF misses the boat on the Big East in 2003 for the 2005 season. 
what do they do? They build an indoor practice facility. They build a football stadium. They build an arena. Uh, they, they've invested in the athletic village. UCF has, has created an attitude of pushing forward, of continual development. And I think that's something that, that growing through these, these pains and these disappointments and these near misses and, and just the, the failures of getting from where you wanted to be to where you were hoping to be and not falling into despair. It's okay. What do we need to do next to position ourselves for, for continual growth? Mm-hmm. I think that's become part of the culture. Uh, you know, I remember when UCF had the, the ad campaign, UCF stands for opportunity. Yep. Uh, that hasn't changed. You know, charge on uh, th- that, that, that creed right there, that, that saying is about moving forward, about continual development and growth. And I don't think it's going to stop because, okay, you've gotten here. What's your next goal? Okay. We want to win the conference and in, in insert sport here. It applies to any sport or, or really anything that, that the schools are competing in. It can be academic yeah. related too. Okay. Okay. You've won the conference. What next? Oh, we want to win the whole, we want to hit the whole damn thing, you know? Uh, so, you know, there's always something else to grow towards. And, you know, UCF and their fans would love nothing more. Yeah, we, we, we did something that bucked the system. Now you want to win the system. Yep. You have an opportunity Well, I would calm down. Um, no, 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 no. That's I a would goal. Come. That's a no, goal. That's, yeah. No, that's the goal. Great, but don't be don't set yourself self 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 up for disappointment because you're not. I disagree. You're not in the big table. The big table is the SEC. The big table is the Big Ten. We don't know what the table size of the Big Twelve is yet. We're kind of assuming you're going to be a big table, but remember, they won't even invite it to the Alliance table. So we don't know. Neither was the SEC. Well, the SEC's got it. So they, they, they can create their own party. <laughs> I don't think the SEC will have to worry about it. I think they're going to be just fine. I, I think you're putting way too much faith in I the don't believe concept the, of the alliance is a thing. I, I don't know. But what I'm saying is I don't believe the Big 12 is – I don't think – I think there are serious questions. Again, the biggest question of all this, will the Big 12 keep their autonomous five status? We don't know that. That's a game changer. If they lose that – you're not that different than where you were, except you're making a few dollars more. Now it's but, still the right move. It's still a positive, but I think some people think that all of a sudden you're worth the, you're worth the, the big boys here. And that's not necessarily the case here yet. They, only the NCAA can take away mm-hmm. that autonomous status. Do you think they're going to do it? You think the NCAA is going to exist to do that? No, I don't. That's not taking the autonomy away. That's, I, I, that I, just I, means if, it's all if the, gone. If the other four says, yeah, we want them out of here. They're going to get kicked out. That's the question. Work that way. I do. What's, I disagree. What's, I disagree. What's I the mechanism? There's no mechanism for doing that. Sure, there's. They did that with the Big East. They did well, that no, with the Big no, East. No, 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 no. That the, was not the, autonomy. That was strictly the BCS going correct. to. The okay, CFP. but but what I'm saying is the point correct. is you're not going to get invited to those same parties that you used to. The Big Twelve used to. That's the point. Whatever you want to call it, you're still going to be a distant fifth. From a, from a pers- yes. disagree, and I'll tell you why. Well, no, no, All no. Right. I'm saying from a saying from a perception standpoint. You can, you're going to tell me about how they can perform on the field. I'm telling you from a perception standpoint, they will always be number five because they no. don't have. Yeah, I, they are. No, no, disagree with that entirely, and I'll tell you why. Bill Connolly, who oh, I 
who I, you guys know I admire. And yeah, he's a dweeb. Yeah, he's a dweeb. He's not a dweeb. He's probably one of the smartest people analyzing this. Actually, yeah, went back I, and said, analyze yes. what what is the Big 12s, the new Big 12, minus Texas, Oklahoma, plus UCF and others, um, really worth here. So you looked at the, the, the uh, let's see, he's been getting a lot of, uh, here's what he tweeted out. Five-year S&P plus averages, which is his ranking system for these, for uh, college football. He's good, by the way. He's no, really he is good. good. I, I mean, he has no uh, life, but he, the future oh, no, no, no. high is Big good. 12, it's the number he's talking about. Eric, that's not a knock on anybody. None of us have lives. Uh, the Big I 12. Do. No, you know, the, the Big <laughs> 12 the was <laughs> uh, the five year average for the uh, SEC was 13.2. Big 10 was second, 8.6. ACC, 6.9. And here's where it gets tight ACC, 6.9. Pac 12, 6.4. Big 12, 5.6. That's the last five years okay, of the but, new Big okay, 12. Great, but here's the thing. If these games are on FS2, the perception is it's not a real league. That's my point. You can give me, look, the American right now, I would argue has been better than the Pac-12, but the perception is that the Pac-12 is better. That's my point. The TV contract The perception important. that the Pac-12 is better is because of the autonomous they have but American i need what is the that's TV? always that that's always no but see but with the okay American. but my point is if the big 12 ha- does not have a deal with espn and their next tv deal if they have a deal with the zone let's say and fox i'm sorry they're not going to get the fair shake on espn sports center and espn still going to control college football so i need the tv deal will decide the per- who's got the perception who's a real league and who's not fair whether you like it or not this is a tv sport tv runs college athletics they decide as of this juncture and obviously this is probably this is probably going to change because the new television contract the sure. current tv deal for the big 12 is 23 games per year on the espn family abc right. espn to you uh up to 40 games on uh on the fox family but that's Fox and FS1. Right. That there, there's no FS2 games. There is no that. FS2 in that. I mean, let me, let me, well, not yet. But again, you have Oklahoma, Texas. Now we'll see what happens. I don't. I mean, I hope you're right that they don't. Well, but we'll Fox see. is not going to have Oklahoma and Texas because they're going to be on ESPN Cor- and the SEC. Correct. And they're going to be the Premier League. So the question is, what we get in this new TV deal? That's the decider in all this. What's the TV deal going to look like? I, well, I, I think here's the other thing too, guys. That's also going to factor into is what does the college football playoff can? What's the college football playoff going to look like? That's if you question. have if if you have as as we have as we have been hoping for. Over the summer, the reports that we're going to, if we're going to have a 12 team playoff with 2026, probably, right, Drew? We've been on the same page. Whatever. Just get to 12. I I think it's all but, but official for that. uh, You know, yeah. (laughs) Whatever. Just get to 12. If you have a 12 team playoff with, I think it's going to change with six, uh, with the top six conference bids getting in. The Big 12 is in that top six. Well, I don't think six. They're going to go. I don't think they're going to go to six. What, what did you say, Drew, though? You say you think it's going to change? I think it's going to change. And because uh, yeah, Gordon Gee, the president of yeah. West Virginia, formerly of the Ohio State University. Watch oh, uh, well, out throw that in. Come on. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> All right, go ahead. The Ohio one has spoken. Uh, did I ever tell you I, I was in an elevator with him at the West Virginia Bowl game? And he's definitely. Did I ever tell you I was in an elevator with Judy Genshap and I thought I might burst into flames? 
Well, it turns out their pro- her school burned into flames years later. But anyway, go ahead. You, you said it could change. Well, he originally said he's planning on voting against it. And I think Correct. That's what's going to have to change uh, because there, there's definitely a question of bad faith by the by Greg Sankey in these in these negotiations, because he was negotiating with Texas and Oklahoma while building this plan. Uh, I, I think there might have to be a conference cap for for this to go through. I think when that's you say the a conference cap, what do you define that as? The max number of teams a conference can throw into the CFP. Correct. You can't get okay. six SEC teams into the Correct. CFP. That's the, I agree with you on that. I think the Pac-12 is like, why are we just going to give four or five bids to the SEC and turn this into an SEC invitational? Uh, I think that the major conferences, we're going to want to have at least two teams into the tournament. The good news for UCF is they don't have to worry about this because I do think the Big 12 will have its spot. You know, you're not going to have to fight against the MAC or whatever's left of the MAC by then. For all we know, they could disappear. Conference USA or whatever's left of that or the American or all that other leagues. You got your own separate deal. I think the Big 12 will still have a spot, but they're not. I don't, you know, I still think the SEC is going to get the bigger pie. I think the Big 10 is going to get a bigger pie. The ACC is going to get a bigger pie out of that. The Pac-12 will get a bigger pie and then the Big 12 will get leftovers. And and that's the crazy part because the Pac-12 doesn't deserve it. (laughs) Well, I mean... I mean, their product's been subpar. I mean, they're they're an absolute organizational mess. Right. But, mean, but that's but that goes back to what Matt was talking about in the interview earlier. Is we don't know what the what the Pac-12 is going through right now. We don't know if this is historically bad for them, or if it's the new normal for them. That's a very good question. Uh, you know, having in, having the new leadership come in. Things can change, and things need to change for that. For that, if it's, well, if it's, a new if it's the new normal, you. you well, we don't know. Free, we, we, well, we'll see. I mean, we got to see what again. They got their TV deal coming up as well, so I think that'll tell the story. And again, let's say the Pac-12 gets a deal, and that Pac-12 network, which has been a dis- uh, uh, debacle, turns into ESPN the the Pac-12 network on ESPN Plus. Now they're doing better, uh, and I do think that TV. And college wants the West Coast to be represented. So well, yeah. the pack, well the but pack, they really want is USC. They want USC or UCLA. I mean, or UCLA. I mean, Oregon uh, for, for now, for basketball. Maybe. Yeah, UCLA is a brand in LA. No football. I mean, the, Chip Kelly. I think that's a positive step for them. They're more important than the Big Twelve leftovers. Like nobody cares about Kansas State. Nobody cares about TCU. So that's the problem. It's all about the perception. Now that's all going to get figured out. With the new TV deal and what the other conferences do, we still don't know those questions. But I'm just saying caution on that, on the pump the brakes, on the we've made it to the big leagues. We don't. I think there's more changes to come in college athletics. Well, there's, well, there's more changes to come, but I this this is pretty basically the pinnacle of what UCS is probably going to get to. I agree. Well, I, well, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, you're right. I mean, we don't know what the next decade could bring. If the teams leave the ACC for the SEC, could UCF become a candidate there? Whatever. That's a decade away. Right. Uh, right. The good news is, and I said this at the open, Drew. You see, whatever this is a the the college athletics is going through a spin cycle here. There's going to be casualties program wise. It's going to be a lot of casualties. You're UCF. You're trying to avoid that. You want to be on the right side of this when it's all the dust clears. And, and all that's signs the point, they will Correct. not be a casualty. Exactly. That's the big thing. Biggest takeaway is right, right. there. The, uh, the other thing, and here's, and here's the other thing that's important with the Big 12 is, with, is, and Matt, again, was, you know, emphasized this, and this is where that power conference tag comes in. And then, before, and then when this is over, we'll get to the uh, preview of the BCU game. Is, oh, 
showdown. Is the is the <laughs> twelve power is the CFP payout. Now here the bylaws of the college football playoff state that each of the ten conferences receive a base amount. I'm reading this right from the college football playoff website for conferences that have contracts for their champions to participate in the orange rose or sugar bowls. The base combined with the full academic performance pool is approximately $57 million for each conference per year. That's just from the CFP. That doesn't have anything to do with TV. 12 has that lock in with, with the major bowls, right? And as far as we can tell, we'll still continue to do so for the, fu- for the foreseeable future. We'll see. We'll see. Remember that the other, the group of five conferences in FBS, how much money they're getting from the CFP? 90 million among total. Five conferences are splitting. Right. So 83 18. million. Right. So it's basically comes out to about 17 per this is less, 50, little less. It's 57 oh, yeah. million it's per, different. per conference Correct. versus. 83 million for everybody else. And Correct. that doesn't right. include getting bonuses for getting into the CFP. Right. Six million dollars for every school that well, gets into the semifinal. And, and we're not even including money that you, you get in the NCAA tournament in basketball, which again, you're in the right league to make a lot of money because you make more money by each team you get in the NCAA tournament. We cannot dismiss yeah, your shares, right? The basketball side of this. Because this you go from a league that's probably a two to three bid league to a league that's easily going to be a five to six big league. That's, oh, yeah. I mean, Houston, we haven't even talked Oklahoma about how good State, of a basketball league this Baylor, is. Oh, Kansas. my God. Yeah. Because here's the thing. From a basketball standpoint, yeah, Oklahoma and Texas are good programs, but they weren't like – they were middle of the pack. The Big 12 is going to be fine. They're going to compete with the Big 10 and the ACC for years to be the top conference. And that's why I still believe ESPN will be involved with the Big 12 because that's a big property is Big 12 basketball. Mm-hmm. Oh, you got – as I said, Houston, Baylor, Kansas, I, Oklahoma State. I mean, then you go down to West Virginia, you know, they still, you know, they have Bob Huggins. Bob Huggins, right? yeah. Still, Huggy right, Bear. He's, he's still a respectable property right there. I mean, that's five teams right there that command. Oklahoma market. State just had the number one player in the NBA draft, Cade Cunningham. Exactly. Henry Iba coach there. This is this is the big leagues here. No, and I said this earlier, Drew. No more excuses for as far as not going to basketball games. Like that ticket yeah. price, that's gonna be market conference, man. Yeah, yeah. Premier Every conference. Night. Yeah. By the way, back to like your 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 bowl tie-ins. It's it's the Sugar Bowl for the Big Twelve against the SEC. Your bowls after that, nice selection: Alamo Bowl in San Antonio, Cheez It Bowl here in Orlando, Cheez It Bowl, Cheez It Cheez It Cheez It Bowl. But we'll see how the bowls look too. I don't think right, all those right bowls. now yeah. cycles end with the CFP cycle. So right. Right. Um, we'll see how the new contracts work. Exactly. But uh, remember that 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 goes through twenty twenty five. Right, right now. So they're they're yeah. Will they be will they be reshuffled? Yeah, but well, three, twenty twenty three, twenty four, twenty five. You're right. You're right. So there's three year window, and remember, UCF had basically a one year window in the former Big East, and they just went and won the whole damn thing, ran the table, won the thanks to a now UCF Hall of Famer, which we will talk about in a little bit. But first, Drew, let's talk about this game uh, with. Bethune scrimmage time baby yeah well hey listen 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 (sighs) hold your horses there lopez because what did bethune do last week they went out to el paso i know it's utep (laughs) really we're gonna go there we're gonna break this but they lost to utep well 
UTEP should blow out an FCS team. No, they shouldn't. They've been bad. They've been one of the 10 worst. They've been a bad program. Bethune Cookman hung with him. 28 was the final. Drew, we talked about, you know, this, the wild game on Thursday night, you know, by now is old news, but I want to preview this game real quick. What obviously we're expecting a blowout. SP plus predicts it to be a 59 to eight. Um, what are we going to see here? Obviously, number one, nobody get hurt. But number two, what? Uh, you're going to see an opportunity to work out, I guess, work out some of the kinks. Uh, you know, it's still a new offense. There's players still kind of gelling. I think you're going to see uh, a lot more second stringers. Uh, maybe, you know, some Mikey Keen action. See, you know, Johnny Richardson play a much more sizable role. Uh, Amari Johnson, you know, in there, uh, there's, there's a lot of players that can use the extra playing time that I think this is going to open up probably some point in the second half, first half, obviously it's going to be, you know, business as usual. Mm. Uh, you look at how UCF did last week against Boise state. The, that first half was just atrocious. Uh, there was all sorts of problems in all sorts of different areas. Uh, what lasted the whole game was how soft the defensive coverage was in the secondary. I mean, they gave a lot of space and just got chewed up. Uh, and it took, an, uh, it didn't really get any better until the defensive line started disrupting so much that the ball just wasn't getting there. Obviously you can't live like that. So this is an opportunity to kind of work a little bit more on your press coverage and, and do a little more creativity that way. Uh, we saw a lot of good come out of the flex positions that UCF was using with uh, the buck with uh, big cat Brian up front. And then uh, Bryson Armstrong with the night yep. uh, in the back, he was kind of all over the place. Didn't have as many tackle numbers, but I mean, he, he was just everywhere on the field though. Uh, I, I think you're going to see a little more creativity with that. Just to, just to try things out. This, this is an opportunity to try things. And, and get, you know, debug some of the, the problems that, that we saw last week. Because even though Louisville did not have a good season opener, that's an important game. Uh, that, that win, if they, if they win both, will probably put them into the top 25. So you, you need that, that Louisville out of conference against a power conference team. Even though UCF is going to the Big 12, you still need those power conference wins. Uh, can't rest on your laurels, like you said. And, uh, and, and move from that. But the one thing that, that I think we'll, we'll see plenty of is second unit players. I think we're going to be rotating a lot more uh, offensive line. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to keep Dylan Gabriel in there all that much, just, just to put the game away, padded enough. And, and so that, you know, he's not at risk of being, you know, you don't want injuries to happen. And this is not a game that injuries are worth happening. So uh, I, I mean, that's my thought of it. It's, it's going to be a, a good opportunity. I don't want to say like Eric says, where it's a scrimmage. It's, that, that's Are you going to get, so I want you to get some reps, Drew. You've earned it, <laughs> but it's about, well, it's about these other guys getting reps, you know, get, you know, the, the, usually the, these home games against FCS is, is a, is a money grab. It's about, you know, letting you some of your depth play. And I think that's what we're going to say. Yeah, but I want you in in that fourth quarter. I better you better be in it. If you if I if I find out that you're in the game in the fourth quarter, I'll tune in. I'm always in the game. I will give you a serious note, by the way. I'll be serious for a second here. 
I'm in the game in the fourth quarter. No one cares about you, Jeff. Well, you're you're in the game the whole game. I will bring up an interesting point, though, because obviously they play, you know, teams play FCS. And I think this is worth mentioning. Another aspect of keep this in mind in the new TV deal. If you look at the current Big 12 deal, Oklahoma this weekend, for example, they're playing an FCS team, Western Carolina. That game is on pay-per-view. Oklahoma fans are dishing out, have to pay 60 bucks to watch the game. That is something to monitor here in the next TV deal and why I think it is still important that ESPN is a part of it because if ESPN is still part of the, the, the package with the Big 12, my guess is that this game, obviously like this game is going to be on ESPN Plus. But if it's not, if it's if let's say ESPN is not a part of the football package and this game is on Fox or CBS, you may have to in the future for these UCF games, you may have to pay money on the in some in some capacity, whether it be a pay-per-view or something. Mm-hmm. Hmm. No, 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 no. Uh, the way this works is uh, individual institutions retain the rights to at least one game not owned by not aired by ESPN or Fox. Right. Uh, all schools except Texas and Oklahoma will air those games on ESPN plus. Correct. This gets the Longhorn Network. Oklahoma's right. on its own. Correct. But we well, and Oklahoma what? usually airs that I think on their local affiliate, so right? They or, do. Oh, well, uh, used to be Fox Sports. Now it's Valley Oklahoma Sports. Whatever is on their own on or this they one. Do. They're not on ESPN Plus, but right. But but everyone else has one game on ESPN Plus. And, right. Except Oklahoma, which is the pay per view, and Texas, which is the Longhorn Network. So no. There, that's therefore, not the if you. If we so if we push that forward to UCF, the game would just stay on ESPN Plus anyway. If yes. e, that's what I'm saying, if ESPN is a part of it, what I'm saying is if ESPN is not a part of it, where the game could possibly be an issue because Fox Sports is Fox is not going to pick up the game, a CBS ain't going to pick up the game. They're going to have better games to well, pick from. So that's, that's where tier three though. That's correct. If correct. they don't have tier three, they can go and sell tier three. You don't think UCF can try to sell it to to Fox Sports Sun? <sighs> Maybe well, I, no, well, here's the issue. Valley Sports Sun, whatever you no, call it now. But, well, here, here's the issue with that, though. I mean, right now, your tier three telecasts are your Olympic sports, your volleyball, soccer, things right. that, you know, we softball, baseball, things that that we all know and love, especially here on this show. Right. Yes. And that's not going to go on Sun. Correct. That's not going to go on Valley Sports. Correct. That's why, again, I, I'm going to keep repeating. I think a very, I still think ESPN is going to be a part of it, but I think it is important that ESPN is a part of this because if they're not, there will be issues moving forward uh, because not everybody picks up Valley Sports. So if you're a UCF fan outside of Florida, you may not get that game. That's the issue. You know, whereas ESPN Plus, you could, you know, you may not like the fact you got to pay however you got to pay, but you have access to it. That could I, I be would be, I would be shocked, absolutely shocked, if the Big Twelve did not at least make nice with ESPN. I agree with you. I agree with you. you keep I Big agree. Twelve I agree now well. on ESPN Plus. I agree. It, it would be. It would be, I just, a, it would be a fool's errand to not do that. I, I agree, but I just wanted to make that point. Because obviously of the Bob Bowlesby ESPN debacle that happened that we addressed early in the show. So I think it is important to keep an eye on this, on the TV. I think this TV contract is important, not just because of the fine, of how much the dollar amount, but who's carrying the games and what, because there could be a rippling effect. I do think you're right. I think it'll be an ESPN plus and it will not be an issue. But if it's not, if ESPN decides no, then we could have an issue. But I, th- I don't think it'll happen, but it's right. worth bringing and up. We can't, we can't speculate how the future contract's going to be. 
we can only see what the current contract is and UCF will have some time with that future. Right, but that next TV deal is important. I mean, it is important. important, It's it's very important. It's pure speculation of how it's going to play out. That's what this show is. That's what we do. We speculate. I think think what Drew's point though here, Eric, and and, and we got to take a break after this, but I, I think Drew's point here, Eric, is that unlike the last time in 2013, where you're basically starting a new league over that had some leftover tie contract tie-ins from the big East. Right. Right. UCF is going to be going into the big 12 at a time where they're going to have about two to three years worth of data that they can pitch in this next deal. Now, granted the next deal is going to be negotiated before the new one starts. Right. Right. But at least you're going to have a window of time to prove yourself in that format. Well, okay. you have, and you I have think data. that's, and that's a good thing for UCF. And it's a good thing for the other four new schools too, or the other oh, three absolutely. new schools. But you have data from those schools time in the American that's or BYU on their own. Uh, the, oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I agree. Coming yeah. into the American was an unknown. I mean, the, the best thing they did was they won the Liberty Bowl in 2010. I mean, we're not talking, right. there wasn't much there. There's a lot of, you know, show that they've won on primetime national television. Sure. They've won the big bowl game. I mean, there's there's legit proof that Cincinnati, Houston, all of these schools can win the big one um, that can be on a marquee platform. All the way down to that softball game against Florida last year, Eric Lopez. Boom, exactly. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's Where very important. a big pop nationally on the SPM. Exactly. So let's fingers crossed that everybody comes to their level heads and does the right deal. And I tend to agree. I think it'll be an ESPN plus, but I do think that's something to monitor. It's all, you know what else we need to monitor actually real quick before we go. So uh, there's no line for UCF and Bethune Cookman. Wonder why shark right now. Not sure. Why. There's no line. Yeah, there's uh, well, because you don't put a line on a scrimmage. Enough, interestingly <laughs> enough, it's a real game. It will count as a real game. Regardless it counts of what you say. Your bowl eligibility. Counts for, no, it does not. Yes, it does. <laughs> You get one FCS a year. I thought they didn't count any of them. Oh, yeah, that's right. You do get one, F- one FCS a year. Okay. Um, <laughs> however, both of these teams' opponents from last week are playing each other. Yes. UTEP, UTEP and is Boise playing State. at Boise State. And Boise you know better blow them game? out. You know what the line is for that game? Yeah. Remember, UTEP beat Bethune-Cookman by 10 at home. This game yeah. is in Idaho. Boise minus 26. Yeah, that's about right. They better blow them out. That's about right. They better blow them out or we got more things to be worried about. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, We're going to take a break. When we come back, we still got lots more to talk about here. Um, We will uh, talk about women's soccer. Penn State getting a big victory over the Nittany Lions. Uh, Tough night for men's soccer, too. And then we'll also talk about the Hall of Fame inductions for UCF, a new class. The UCF Athletics Hall. I know. I can't wait. Eric, this is this. Eric waits all year for this. I know. And you two, you two got some hot, you got some questions about it too, which I can't wait to hear. So I'm looking forward Mm -hmm. to this. Stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Drew Glukov with you. Wrapping up here in this last segment, a lot to talk about, including first and foremost, Eric Lopez. It's Christmas in September for you because it is UCF athletics hall of fame time. We have five new inductees uh, who are going into the uh, UCF hall of athletics hall of fame class of 2021, all names that I think UCF fans, especially in recent years should be quite familiar with. First of all, at the top of the list, the boat, 
Blake Bortles, Oviedo High School grad going in, along with another football player, Josh Sitton, who had just finished an outstanding career in the NFL as a longtime offensive lineman for the Green Bay Packers. Natalie Land, who I know you're here with from her years in uh, softball. Jermaine Taylor, who I, for my money, is the greatest basketball player who ever stepped foot on UCF's floor. Uh, and Afia Charles from track and field, who uh, competed in the Olympics, was part of multiple conference championships uh, for UCF in the early part of this decade. So there's your five inductees. Congratulations, first of all, to all of them. Uh, yeah. all Friday, well night, deserved, Friday night, October 8th, they get inducted. They'll also be honored yeah. at halftime of the half-time East Carolina of the game. game. Drew, can you imagine? Imagine who's the PA guy that's going to get to introduce him on the field. Um, I hear he's being replaced for that game. <laughs> <laughs> don't you dare. Uh, don't you guys gonna get me into trouble for this. I want this to happen. I, it, I, obviously, I personally this. am all happy for all of them, but the guy who I'm most happy for is Jermaine Taylor. I love who, Jermaine Taylor. He's one of my I, favorite basketball players. Uh, it, listen, uh, I, he's probably my favorite basketball player of all time at any level to be honest with you, um, to, to, to have seen him play at UCF as he did. I saw him his last year, his senior year. Um, and I worked one of the cameras underneath the baskets. I worked the, the arena camera that was underneath the basket to the left when you're walking, watching on TV. And usually that was the basket that UCF shot at in the first half. And we, I could, I, I've probably been dunked on by Jermaine Taylor more than any person ever because I'm joke right there. there underneath that, underneath that basket and uh, I've I, I witnessed firsthand some of his best performances that year um, the man is was a human scoring machine he was put on this earth to take the ball to the basket we've st- we saw him a little bit in the NBA I feel like he he should have had more chances in the NBA than he did he's still pursuing obviously his pro career still in the big three Probably and, uh, would be in the NBA if, if he was playing now, younger age. I think the league now would have suited his game probably better right. than yeah. back then. Because he was uh, an extremely was a underrated, I mean, yeah. a good slash, uh, obviously an excellent, but an extremely underrated outside shooter also. Um, that's where he would he would really make his hay, especially late in games. So I'm so happy for Jermaine, um, you know, originally from the Tavares area, uh, Set a conference USA record 29.1 points per game in conference play uh, his senior year. Um, may never be broken that record. I, that may, yeah, I don't think that will be broken. Obviously, he was drafted by the Washington Wizards, played for the Kings. We were there. Uh, we were there indeed, draft yeah, night, we Jeff. We were both there. Yep. Yep. At the restaurant. I forget the restaurant up there. It's right on the lake. In Tavares. Uh, big in time. Tavares. Yeah. <laughs> I, I forget what it is. But um, USA Player of the Year as a senior. Um, man, I, I just, it was such a, it was such a joy to watch him play. And then to, you know, to see him, you know, I I've seen him, you know, several times afterwards. Um, I'm so happy for Jermaine. Congratulations, JT. You are, uh, as deserving of this honor as anybody. I can't wait to see you there, uh, in October. It's going to be a blast. Who's your guys. Hey, who, who are you most happy for here? True. I'm curious who you are. Yeah. Eric, I know uh, who a, you're going to say. I, I'm a Josh Sitton guy. Uh, of course, I, you know, being a, a former offensive lineman myself, uh, I always have love for the guys who work in the trenches. Uh, they never get the glory. And here's an opportunity for an offensive lineman to get the glory. Josh Sitton had a long, 
playoff uh, NFL career, especially what a Super Green Bowl. Bay. Won a Super Bowl with with Green Bay, uh, multiple Pro Bowl years. I think he had four. He was part of the uh, the yeah. second team All Decades team with um, Pro Football Focus. I and mean, yeah, he was pretty, he was pretty good. Uh, when he was active at UCF, he was at the first two bowl games for UCF, mm-hmm. uh, which were two games that I was present at with the Hawaii Bowl in 05 and the Liberty Bowl in 07, both, both losses. But I mean, he played a very integral part of, you know, winning that first division championship in 05 and then later the first conference championship in 2007. I, he played a lot of games for UCF and, you know, then played a lot of games as a pro and was a consummate professional uh, I, I just love seeing offensive linemen get get recognized because they often don't. He was a he was part of O'Leary's first class, two thousand four. He, he was, and yeah. he was he was not heavily recruited, and much like many guys during George O'Leary's tenure, blossomed. I mean, yeah, that was probably the thing about George O'Leary stuff, aside from the academic aspect, which George put the student and student athlete here at UCF. Right, deserves he, credit for that make no mistake about it, all of UCF's academic success really focused on the football team. And it just kind of exploded from there and everyone started really raising their game, uh, but he focused so much on the academics, but he also was able to really develop diamonds in the rough, you know, two-star players or very little recruited players like Blake Borles was only recruited um, by what two school uh, Purdue wanted him as a tight end and, and UCF wanted him as a quarterback. And that was pretty much it. Uh, and you know he was able to to really blossom it kevin smith was a very under the radar guy that came mm-hmm. here and, and blossomed under george o'leary josh sitton's no different came here very unheralded uh guy and turned into a multi-pro bowl nfl player who had an awesome career i mean yeah great job <laughs> blocked for aaron Rodgers for you know at Note, obviously, in his in his college career, helped Kevin Smith run for 2,500 yards in 2007. And for the bulk of his uh, pro, helped Aaron Rodgers become a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, there's no doubt about that. And, uh, uh, I mean, yeah, a, a, a Josh, an unsung hero, but, man, what a career. What a great career. How about you, Eric? I know who you're going to say. Well, I'm going to take the other three here because we got to mention all of them. Break. Let me start with Blake. I think he's become underrated. I think he's become underappreciated. We've kind of, you know, there's been a lot of UCF fans that have joined in since 2016-17 range. We'll just leave it as that. That feel that Mackenzie Milton is the greatest of all time. I get that. He's in the argument. You've got your Culpepper. I think Blake needs to be thrown into that conversation. I'm going to give you the stat. Blake Bortles, in basically two years of starting, because there was that year where he was splitting with Godfrey, whatever. Mm-hmm. And he never the, started. Correct. Never started. In the two years he was a starter, he led UCF to six fourth quarter comebacks during those two years. Five of them on the road. Five of them in that 2013 season. You and I, Jeff, were at a local establishment one oh, Friday yeah. night. And we'll probably bring this up next week because we have Louisville next week. And to me, the one of the most important games in the history of this program. Who knows if they don't come back against Louisville, they don't win that conference. They don't play in the Fiesta Bowl. Who knows if we're even going to the Big 12, yeah. right? Not just the fourth quarter comeback, but also tied, as we found this from this past Thursday, tied with the boys, now the Boise State game and Illinois yes. State 1984 yes. as the biggest comeback 
in school history, down 28 to seven on, on the road, road in Louisville against Teddy Bridgewater. Devontae right? Parker, who's Devontae in the NFL. Parker, the stack Louisville team. Good Charlie Strong defense. So right. people love to make fun of Charlie Strong, you know, Texas and, and USF, right? Let me tell you yeah. something. Charlie Strong was the hot guy. In Louisville, yeah. Louisville. And that team, they were a top that 10 team, team was, all year. Yeah. Top 10 team. He, so and, he let him in that comeback. Let yep. him in a comeback at Memphis. Game let him in a comeback. Pass, Jeff Godfrey in the final seconds. Uh-huh. Against Louisville. Iconic moment. Six fourth quarter comebacks. In comparison, Mackenzie Milton had two. And there's an asterisk with that. Because one of those two was the Mike Hughes kickoff return for a touchdown. If you ask me, I got one drive to win the game. My life depends on it. Which UCF quarterback I'm taking? I'm taking Blake Bortles because he's, I think he's the most clutch quarterback. Fourth quarter, nobody I would take better than him. Is he the best of all time? Maybe, maybe not. But I'm just, he's like, to me, he's John Elway because John Elway had a lot of fourth quarter comebacks. Maybe he's not the greatest quarterback of all time, but man, I have no problems with him being in the foxhole there at quarterback. That's how highly I think of Blake. And I think people have lost track of that because he was a big part of that Fiesta Bowl. I hope people still bring him up. I think he's at that level with Milton and Culpepper, tier one, greatest UCF quarterbacks of all so, time. People back and look at those 2013 games, the Houston game, the um, obviously the Louisville game we know about, but you know that Houston game where UCF gutted out a win. Uh, I go back to the USF game on Black Friday. Yeah. It, looked like, it looked like the wheels were coming off in that game. And in the fourth quarter, he found a way to get you back on top and it was Hit just Perriman for the game-winning touchdown yep. in the fourth quarter just i was on the sidelines for that way, yep. it was a classic team that just found a way to win and it was because of the quarterback um i, I want to shout out a, a fee you know it, it's easy for us to overlook her but first ucf olympian i it, about like the big 12 here's one thing i want that i want to mention here i think a lot of fans around the you know, general college sports fans, all right? Don't look at your non-football, non-basketball sports as really being serious until you produce someone who goes to the Olympics. And Afia Charles was the first UCF Knight to go to the Olympics. She competed for uh, Antigua and Barbuda in the 400 meters in London 2012. This was after she was an All-America, uh, amazing relay runner uh, in the 4 by 400 and the 4 by one. Uh, set a UCF record in the help set a four, UCF record in the four by play of three thirty two fifty nine, um, five conference championships, three outdoor, two indoor for Afia Charles, um, just a, a, an outstanding career and really vaulted UCF track and field to a uh, to new heights not seen before. And Eric, we have one more uh, nominee to to to, uh, to wax poetic about, and it's someone who you followed. Yeah. For years of her career at UCF softball, Natalie Land. Natalie Land, I think, is the best pure athlete that I've ever seen in a softball field. Can do everything on the softball field. She was a two-sport star in the state. She was a state softball player of the year and a state basketball player of the year. And in fact, when UCF was recruiting her to come to UCF for a, to be a softball player, she was actually getting offers to be a basketball, a scholarship to be a basketball player at Florida. She had to choose between playing at Florida in football and basketball, I should say, or in softball or come to UCF and play softball. She could have been a multi-sport star if things would have worked uh, scheduling wise could have worked. 
probably if you take pitchers out of the equation, I think Natalie Lane is the second best player in the history of the program behind Stephanie Best. She can hit for power. She can hit for speed. Top of the order, great glove. I think Stephanie would be the first to tell you, pound for pound, probably the best all-around infielder in the history of the program. She was a great glove, had a great glove, great range, great athletic ability. She did plays I never seen before, but she also had a bat, and uh, she's deserving of it to join Stephanie and Allison to be in that Hall of Fame. Uh, and I'm glad that she uh, got appreciate, you know, kind of sort of honored for that tremendous uh, achievement for her to be inducted in there. And, you know, Fia Charles, I think you mentioned it, being in the Olympics, big, a big, big role in that in the year of the Olympics, ironic with obviously the big track year we just had mm-hmm. with the new star. I think it's only fitting that Afia Charles uh, also gets in, although there's other, and hopefully this opens the door for track and field. This is their first track and field athlete inducted into the Hall of Fame. There are others that probably should be in as well. Jackie Coward, who you covered and yeah. interviewed, should probably be the next one that gets in there. Ariel Scott won a national title. Uh, Ariel I know, Scott, I think, is she's she's yeah. next in line, I think. I have, yeah. yeah, I think down the road, I know she's had some uh, post-UCF issues, uh, off-the-field issues that maybe some people uh, use that against her or whatever, but hopefully down the road that kind of gets all squared away. Now, both of you have questions, so I will answer these questions since I've kind of – because I know you – Obviously, you're happy with this class. I think this is the second best class of all time. I think it's slightly 19 is better than 21, but you can make the argument those are your two best Hall of Fame classes in recent memory. But you guys still have questions, don't you? A little some questions about others that maybe should have been considered. I, I would have liked to have seen uh, two football players from back in the day um, get more consideration. I, I think that Darren Slack, uh, the fact that he's not in the UCF Athletics Hall of Fame right now, um, is a travesty considering he finished as the all-time leading passer and set, and along with Mike Kruzek, really set up UCF to be the offensive power that they became in the late or in the early D1 AA era that eventually moved into the D1 era. I mean, it, it's it, the the mad scientist Mike Kruzek started with going five wide with Darren Slack and slinging the pill around, around the citrus bowl. And then the other guy who really needs to get in, and I really do believe this is Mark Giacone. Um, his performance against Youngstown state in that, in that, uh, in the cold, in the division one double a playoffs is the stuff of legend. And, you know, we've, I've talked about him and we've, we've had him on the show before. Um, his story is just the perfect story for, you know, a guy from, you know, from New Jersey who, didn't really get a shot, came to UCF, had a good first couple of years, blew out his knee, didn't have a scholarship, and then worked his way back into a scholarship and, uh, and concluded his career in spectacular fashion. Those two guys, Darren Slack and Mark Giacone, I think really, it, I hope that the next time we have another Hall of Fame um, round of voting that those guys get the consideration that they deserve. Drew, you got any guys? Well, I was also in the Mark Giacona <laughs> camp as well, uh, as far, you know, it, it seems to be there's a break. And if you're not part of this new generation, you're, you're being, you know, left, left out. And, that, and that's not right. You have to look at the value that that person brought to their respective sport, the program. And, and I, I know the other guy, I know there's baggage there. He fell on a sword. But I think it's time to let things go. Uh, Gene McDowell, the guy who rescued UCF athletics, there would be no UCF athletics without McDowell. 
Uh, he, he brought it from the brink of, this, uh, of absolute folding. Uh, they need to let things go and, and bring them in. I, he fell on the sword for stuff that, was, that went wrong with the cell phone incident and everything years and years and years ago. Uh, but in retrospect, that's a lot more minor than, than other things that we've seen happen elsewhere. I, I think it's time to let it go. Bring, bring him home. He's no longer with us. Now is the time to enshrine him. All right. So I'll address all of that. Uh, for, I think there are some things that uh, in play right now, from what I'm hearing, they're going to try to do is annually, which I think will help uh, get more people in. The other interest right now, looks like they're keeping it at five. If you look at the, and I'm not going to break down all the rules they have, but you can follow it online on the, what the criteria is, is things like that. One of the issues that guys like Giacomi and Slack are all going to have is they're going up against current UCF football players in the last 10, 15 years. They're not, it's kind of like the major MLB uh, hall of fame where the older guys, if you're going up against the current guys, you're not going to get the votes. So I think what for them to get in, you're going to have to a increase the number of people you induct per year. Other schools do this where they go to seven, eight people, but also include a different category where maybe you go with some of the people from that era and you pick one each year. I don't believe they're going to get in under the current criteria because their competition is too Maybe step. you do. Maybe what you do is, you know, maybe now is the time for the guys who, who run the Hall of Fame to have a, a, a veterans committee. Right. Well, like the problem is some of them are veterans already. That's kind of the issue, which is kind of the the fascinating thing about it. Some of the members in that committee have watched them play. It's not a this is not an issue of, hey, I didn't see that guy play, which is kind of the interesting thing about that. Uh, but I, I think you have to expand the class for them to get in. The other issue is there's pressure there to make sure this is not just a football hall of fame. I mean, that yeah. you got two, two and football. And, that, and that's true. It should not because be. it, because it takes away from the other sports. And one of the issues, like for example, Josh Sitton is getting in because of his NFL career. Uh, you look at Brandon Marshall two years ago, got in because of his NFL career. So basically football has multiple ways of getting in that other sports don't. So there's a, there's a sense in talking to people around this. Okay. Is that there's already enough, things in football's favor why are we going to add more to this when you're at the expense of other sports which is why again i would expand the amount of people you not, uh, induct because you have more create you could do more you could have more female mm. athletes in you could have other sports involved i mean because i've studied this pretty much every hall of fame class except for two or three have had at least two football members in the hall of fame uh, so that's a, that's, I don't know if that's a problem, but that's part of the equation here. And then if you're Slack and Giacomi, you're just not going to get the votes over a Blake Bortles. They're just not, it's not fair. You could say it's not fair, but that's their competition right now. So to me, you got to come up with a different category. Otherwise they're not going to unfortunately make it. And as far as the Gene McDowell thing, that has been a red hot topic for a, a while. I can tell yeah. you that that has been, I have been told in past years in these committee mean members, it's gotten very loud. Like it's when me and Jeff usually do a show. It's loud, that loud. <laughs> Maybe they been, should invite us in. It's been, <laughs> it's been just... no, but there's been a lot of arguments because there's been people about, and the reason he's not in, for those that may not be aware, is he has a felony charge going back to the cell phone scandal right. against UCF. There are some- But it's he was like, a felony conviction. Correct. Which and under the Hall of Fame, his, he served his time for he, uh, right. he, he, he 
paid his debt to society. Right. But the problem um, is the Hall of Fame states, if you have a felony on your record, you're not eligible for the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And so they have been trying. I know there have been people behind the scenes that have been trying to change that, but they just can't agree on that. And unfortunately, uh, I don't know if that's going to change anytime soon, but I know that's been a hot topic over the last few years. I don't know about this past year, but I do know it's been a hot topic over the years. That's been a red hot topic. Every time I ask somebody, so what was the big debate? The Gene McDowell thing. That's been a hot topic. They got to let us, they got to let us in Eric. They got to let us in there. I want to get in there. We got to, we got to, th- we got to throw some things right. The three of us should be able to go in there and let's let, let guys don't argue. Just you and I argue they vote on who's right, and then we go from there. We'll present a case. Yeah, I mean that's yes. kind of how that yeah, works. We'll present club. the case. Yes, it, it's debate club. But but I, and the thing is, you know, in the case of McDowell, he actually could go in as two different things: as success as football coach and success as athletic director. Uh, you know, you yeah. can almost chop him apart, and right? Still make a viable case. But again, the case is he has a felony. Yes, that's the, the that's the yes the felony thing. So that's the thing you have to change and some of the reason why they haven't changed it is some of the members are like well if we change it for him what happens if there's another athlete that has a felony charge what about that you know and there and i'm not gonna i mean there's a player there's a football player that's had some legal issues recently that's probably not going to be in the hall of fame anytime soon he would have been a lock if it wasn't for that i'm not going to mention who it is but you guys can figure it out he played with josh and i'll get i'll leave it as that yeah Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 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 Drew knows. Mm-hmm. He just, Drew's light bulb just came up. Like, yeah, I do know who that you're talking yeah. about. So, uh, let's go to some of the action from the past week. As we try and quickly wrap things up here, uh, men's soccer tough trip up to uh, Raleigh. They played in the George uh, Tarantini Classic. It was really uh, significant for Coach uh, Scott Calabrese up there, who um, you know had connections to Coach Tarantini, uh, the late Coach Tarantini. It was a tough weekend for the. You know, as they lose two to one to number ten uh, Virginia Tech, and two to one uh, at North Carolina State um, in the Virginia Tech game, UCF actually had a lead on a Luca Dorado goal, but then uh, Georgia Tech, or excuse me, Virginia Tech scored two goals within a span of eighteen seconds to take a two to one lead, uh, and that's a lead that they would not relinquish. The shots again up for UCF fifteen, but they got outshot uh, fifteen uh, uh, fifteen to thirteen. And then the NC State game, they fell down two to one. They got one back by Gino Vivi. Eric, did you see that goal by Gino? That was a total galosh. Saw the clip. Saw the clip. Holy smokes. If, if you see the, the clips, you got to see it. I do encourage you to read our nightcap, which goes up every Monday that recaps the weekend. Bryson on top action. of it, man. Bryson Turner all over it. Thank you so much. It's Bryson Turner on Twitter. Um, both those teams are good, NC State and uh, and uh, and Virginia Tech. So I think these are pretty good measuring sticks. But right now, men's soccer, Eric Lopez at one and three, not an ideal start, but they're back home Saturday, one p.m. for Florida Gulf Coast. Yeah, hopefully get a good a good note there, non conference wise. And again, the question will be: Do you feel have you figured out the goalkeeping situation? Matt Douglas has played in four of the five matches. So it seems like they've leaning towards Matt Douglas. Still some defensive breakdowns uh, that they got to clean up a little bit. Had some chances, but uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, this is a big match here. You hopefully want to get some positive momentum before conference. By the way, how quickly is conference play upon us? This is the last non-conference game. That's right. September 11th. Time September flies. 18th, Saturday at Memphis. Conference play for men's soccer is underway. It is that fast, folks. Wow. Um, man, they really need to do that to that 
that two semester season as soon as possible because these seasons just fly by so quickly. Uh, women's soccer right now at three and two. Um, lost in Columbus to uh, Ohio State uh, four to two, but then came back on Sunday at home against another Big Ten opponent, Penn State, and got a huge victory, two to one. Kristen Scott, again, Eric Lopez, two goals in that game, including the game winner in the 62nd minute. Uh, and uh, and the Knights get, get a win over a Big Ten opponent with uh, some real credentials uh, this year in the early going, Eric. Um, but I, I think the story right now, you know, Kristen Scott is, it, it has emerged as a real threat. She's got four goals on the season so far. She's been clutch about it too. I'm really excited about been seeing from her. Yeah, and she's been the big difference maker. She's returned to her form in 2019. She had a limited spring, uh, but she didn't score a goal in the spring. She had a monster game against Texas. She has a big match against Penn State. This was a kind of a weird match because I think they had a, what, a 90-minute rain delay? Yeah. A weather delay issue. So they had a late night. It kind of got lost in translation. Uh, Drew, I heard there was a rumor. There was a former UCF quarterback apparently playing Sunday night that people were kind of mildly uh, interested in during that time frame. So Who I don't remember his name. or may not have been. Ha- <laughs> Might have been Daryl. Was it Daryl Mack? I, I don't know. Might have been somebody else. Anyway. Um, Noah Becker. Could have been Noah Vedro. No, it wasn't him either. Um, but it was a conference champion. Ryan Schneider. Um, ooh, Schneider is a good one. So anyway, so we lost track of this match. Thankfully, Bryson was the only one that followed it. Uh, but it's a big win. It's a big top 10 win against Penn State. You get a split after the a rough, rough outing at Ohio State. Uh, big for Coach Sadak there to get a split. That's a resume win. Penn State, Texas. Now you go to on the road to Ole Miss. And then the big one against North Carolina. Mm-hmm. That's a monster matchup on Sunday. I'm not thrilled about the, the being on a Sunday because there's this thing called the National Football League that, that me and Drew are going to be focused on. But uh, that's a big alternative program, and I'll be watching that probably in the archives on ESPN+. Opening Plus. day. Big, yeah, opening yeah. day of the NFL. A lot of UCF guys uh, there. But, yeah, UCF North Carolina, big. But positive signs for UCF that they could be a contender in the American. I think that and w- this team is clearly a different team when they play with the lead than they're where they're behind. That's the one thing we've learned so far this year. When they fall behind, they have trouble countering uh, and trying to even the score. They're not a team that wants to explode and, and open it up. They want to score and then just kind of, you know, grab you. So we'll see. Yeah. On the other side, for volleyball, they went up to South Carolina. They uh, took one out of the three matches that they played. That one was against Clemson, by the way, uh, where UCF uh, beat the Tigers in four. They hit 292 for the match. Uh, McKenna Melville with 19 kills to uh, to lead everybody. So that was a that was a big start to this uh, to the Palmetto Showdown that they were at in Columbia, South Carolina. But then they played number 10 South Carolina twice. And it didn't quite go so well. They got swept in the first one. Um, McKenna had 22 kills, but then the rest of the production was pretty, pretty low. But Tally Marmon had five. Anne-Marie Watson had four. Kyla Manning for uh, South Carolina was fantastic. Um, even though UCF held South Carolina under 300, they, UCF still didn't hit above 200 in any set. But then they, uh, they, they played them again the next day. Actually, for South Carolina, I'm sorry. Um, lost them in four, uh, UCF won the third where they really hit, uh, hit well, three thirty. Um, and, uh, you know, McKenna had another 20 kill outing a little bit more production from the people around her too. Anne-Marie Watson at eight, Tally Marmon at seven, 
Um, but a one and two weekend for UCF volleyball right now, this, this schedule is absolutely brutal because right now they're two and four and they've been playing really well. You know, they've been playing really well. I thought, I think against some tough opponents, um, they come back home, doubleheader Friday, Florida Gulf coast in the morning, Florida state at night. That's on ESPN plus, and then Georgia on Saturday, I'm going to be calling that Friday, that Friday night game, uh, uh, Eric Lopez and, and Drew Glukov against Florida State. That's going to be a lot of fun. Remember, UCF played Florida State in the NCAA tournament in the first round in 2019. Beat them. First time UCF had advanced in the NCAA tournament in 16 years when that happened. I know Florida State's going to want some revenge from that, but uh, we're playing them at the venue. I think this is a weekend where UCF really has a very good shot at going two and one. And possibly if they, if they, if things break the right way, they go three and zero. that could be an impressive three and zero against Gulf coast. Who's a very good team out of, uh, um, out of the a sun uh, preseason favorite once again, and then Florida state and Georgia, who should be very competitive in the ACC and sec respectively. Again, we talked about this last episode. Where's the scoring coming from? If it's not McKenna, I think is the the underlining deal. I mean, McKenna's average team, Five kills per set, which could be on track. That's a lot to challenge uh, <laughs> Michikova for a single season record of kills per set average. She's hitting two sixty six. The second highest uh, kills person is Anne Marie Watson. No, no, excuse me, Tally Marmon, fifty six kills, but she's only hitting at one fifty eight. As a team, they're hitting two twelve. And that's with McKenna at 266. You're right. I mean, now part of that is the competition, the size. We've talked about the issues they bring in there. But, you know, the balance scoring still kind of working itself out there. By the way, SEC Network, do better on your on your TV feed there. I had the South Carolina on. They had this weird angle where it was from the top and it was like from one side of the court and it had one camera shot. It was weird. Like, come on. That's it? Like, come on. It's supposed to mean more. Wow. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. And well, as as you just as you means guys, no scoreboard bug or nothing. As you guys both said la- at the you know, last time, uh, the the problem with these good teams is they're basically boxing McKenna into a corner, and they're forcing yeah. someone else to step up, and no yeah, one. Their t- their whole mo right now is just we're going to take you out, and what else do you have? Yeah, and and they're no one's been rising up. You know, uh, you know McKenna's arguably the best volleyball player to ever play at UCF, and this last year, she's being put in a corner, not not for anything that that she's done, but mm-hmm. I'm just, that's just good teams doing good good planning. Yeah, and, I mean they they know how to game plan, but you know it's one thing to be able to to to, to say okay, our our game plan is to shut down McKenna Millville. It's another thing to actually execute it. I don't think teams in the American can execute it all that well, as we have seen the last three years. Right um, now, I now, but when you play these larger, fit more full, you know, I hate using this kind of this power conference teams, right? Well, top ranked states, top ranked teams. Your your Penn State's, your Georgia Techs, your South Carolinas. That um, they have the athletes to do it. They have the depth to do it, and and the size. Um, because I mean, the thing that they have is both the size and the athleticism, right? Which is which, and the brain power. They all have that. They all have that. But it's the size plus the athleticism to kind of to take her out. So you know, again, this is this is what you have these preseason tournaments for is working out those kinks. And when, and when we say, by the way, take it out, 
and when we say taking her, she's still By getting the way, her points. She's still her getting out, her kills. Still getting twenty two kills. A kill. Right. Well, yeah. But they're making her <laughs> right. Move. But they're making her. Yeah. They're making her work. They're making her work. They're making her move. Yeah. It's not easy. So in the flow, and then the other thing is because she's getting so much attention, they're basically daring you for hey, somebody else kind of step in there uh, and make a make a point. So we'll see. But this yeah. is good. The, the, the goal. You hope that this helps them down the road. You're right. I don't think this is an issue once you get into conference play. But let's be real. That Florida State match that could be a preview. Let's be real. That could be a preview of the opening if both teams make the tournament it would not be a surprise if those two meet up again in Gainesville against a Florida team that just knocked off Minnesota and there's talk that this might be Mary Wise's best team ever yeah by the way McKenna Melville in those in those three matches up in South Carolina 42 51 and 51 swings that's a lot that's that a is very a busy lot. girl lot yeah I, I, that's and I know that they when, when we saw them in, again when I saw them against St. John's she was I think in the 20s and uh, 20s or 30s, I can't remember, but it was much less. And that's and that's what they want to see is having a lot more is not having to go to her in that in in, in those situations quite so much. So right. I think that's and, the key and, there. And the good thing is, you obviously, in the preseason tournaments, you get double headers. You don't yep. get double headers in conference play. You get a little bit of rest in there. But I mean, that's got to wear you down. Uh, and when you start oh, yeah. wearing down, that's where injuries happen. So I especially this year when you're coming off of a spring. Right. And yeah, you went from spring right into fall. Now they got, you know, Miami and Florida, or sorry, they got Florida Gulf coast and Florida state both Friday matches. Mm-hmm. And then they got the sunshine classic Miami and Florida mm-hmm. Gulf coast, both on a third on Thursday, the 16th. So yeah. you, you've got another double header right there. Uh, and that one's actually even worse. It's 10 AM and 5 PM versus 10 and 7 30 PM. So, I mean, that that's not a large window to really, you know, because that lactic acid builds up and, and it takes mm-hmm. time to flush it out. You drink a lot of water uh, and, and you're going to tire out. And, and so, you know, something's got to give. Right. right. Two things. Uh, only one player ever at UCF volleyball ever has averaged over five kills per set in a season. That's UCF Hall of Famer, Renetta Menchikova. Renetta Menchikova, yeah. Her career average was 5.85. Yeah. <laughs> she like, so you want to talk about just set Renata every single time? That's exactly what UCF was yeah. doing. Was she Renata. the only player on the team? No, they had Tyra Harper. No, they had Tyra they had, Harper, yeah. whose, whose number is also hanging in the rafters. Arguably and, the greatest of all time in volleyball is Tyra yeah, Harper. And, and, but that's how, good, that's how good Renata was. In yeah, three years. how good of an athlete she was. So yeah. my point is... That's the category right now that McKenna's on with five kills per set. But to your point, you kind of want that to lower a little bit because you, you, there's a lot of swings. And I do worry you just played a spring season. You don't want to wear somebody out from a physical standpoint and a mental standpoint on that. And the other thing is, Drew, you sound like a guy that's ready to go check out your first volleyball match this weekend, as that sounds to me. Come on, Drew. This is your chance. Come on, right Drew. Now, the, right before football. The- I'll yeah. see how the timing works. All right. <laughs> uh, a couple other notes I wanted to pass along uh, as well. Golf finished with a runner-up in uh, in the Island Resort Intercollegiate. Uh, top five overall finish uh, for uh, one golfer. Who was it? It was uh, uh, Clement Sharmison uh, who finished in the top five. Also, cross-country, second place in uh, Boca Raton. Their season is officially underway at the uh, Invitational. Uh, 
pretty good. I'm still just amazed by the cross country team. Here they are 5k, 1857, 68 for that's their average time, um, which was just behind only Miami. So congratulations. To that. And one last congrats. You want to pass Kyle Kuhn, UCF alum finishes fifth in the PTBI Paratron in the Tokyo 2020 Paralympics with a time of one Oh three Oh Oh. Um, two minutes behind the uh, gold medal winner, who is Brad Snyder of the Americans. Um, ama- amazing when you really think about it. So congratulations to Kyle. Um, such an honor to compete in, in the Olympics and the Paralympics, and especially in this cycle. He's the last uh, UCF alum who will have, conti- who have, who will have participated in this. And uh, yeah, I- I'm always in awe of the of of the Paralympics uh, and the amazing things that um, that these athletes are able to do um, and and push themselves to do. And Kyle, we salute you here on Black and Gold Banneret. You deserve every bit of the adulation that you should get. I hope that we see you on campus again point soon because we definitely salute you. Job well done, Kyle Kuhn. Congratulations. And that'll do it for our show, man. Oh my God. We got a big week coming up. That's right. NFL, baby. UCF alums. No, good luck no, to all no, the UCF no, no. guys Stop in the it. NFL. Yes. Okay. Yes. That shout out to all the alums. Shout out to Shaquem Griffin. Man's practice squad. Shout out to Otis Anderson made the Rams practice squad. We thought the worst would happen that they would get cut. They made the practice squad. Hopefully they get a little bit more run. I was surprised. I thought she made the team. I hope that he eventually does. Uh, get pulled up to the uh, get pulled up to the full roster because he deserves it. I thought he played really well in the preseason too, and I would like to see Otis get some chances returning kicks uh, right. in that dome in Los Angeles. He looked pretty good in the preseason. Go ahead, Drew. Let's give a shout out to Shaquille Griffin for being named team captain. Yep. Yes, Jacksonville Jaguars. Yep, team captain of the Jaguars. And the legend, the myth, Charlie Hewlett, the best long snapper for my Cleveland Browns. Still there. What year is this for Charlie? <laughs> oh, it's been a while. He's been there a while. I think. Drew, Charlie, you, come on, Drew, with your Cleveland connections, you can't on, get him on Drew, the show. You should know this. I, I want, I, 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 I actually, I, I have to uh, find her, uh, find her contact game, but I had his grandma. <laughs> his gra- what? You better clear that up real no fast. I, I had a contact. <laughs> I had a contact for his grandmother. She reached out to me once and I just have to find it. Uh, I wrote I wrote something and I don't remember what it was and it was something oh. about Charlie because I was a long snapper it was my it was uh, I actually almost walked on to UCF to be a long snapper because the guy was terrible so I have a, a deep affection for 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 long snappers and to have a UCF alum playing on my childhood team the Cleveland Browns I mean, that's like Perfect. Now, all I need to do is somehow find a way to acquire a team issued or game worn jersey. It must go into the closet. Charlie's heading into his seventh year in the NFL, or he he has seven years of experience. This is year number eight, 31 years old. Highest paid long snapper in the league. Yeah. You know, I mean, what what a great, what a a job, right? I mean, he just does one thing extraordinarily well. That's all he's got to do. And he's turned it into a really good career they should have long snappers be in the be in the pro bowl don't you think we have special teams guys they should have uh, every every, both teams should have uh, both pro bowls teams should have a long snapper why not why not right 
We need Char- Charlie needs. I think to make Drew. I think Drew would rather have him getting ready for a Super Bowl in Los Angeles, which I think is possible. Well, this year. I mean, that you know, duh. wouldn't rule it out. Uh, that that's a duh thing, of course. So, also, know. Gabe Davis, Buffalo. Let's not forget as yep, well. Traquan Smith, Gabe. very important year for him with the Saints uh, as well, to name. So there's others, obviously, a ton. We'll keep you in track on that on Black and Gold Banneret. But there's this other thing going on this week. I don't remember what. what what's it get? Where we? There's some news that could drop on Friday. Right, Friday, yeah, we might be busy on Friday, <laughs> believe it or not. There's volleyball, obviously. I don't know what else could it be. I don't know. I mean, maybe they'll maybe they'll call a press conference or something. I don't know. We'll see how it works out. Oh yeah, the Big Twelve. <laughs> So hopefully we'll be there for uh, for all the stuff that's going to go down with that. Assuming all goes well, it seems like it will. Um, yeah, here we go, man. We are on the precipice of a new era in UCF athletics, and we're going to be there with you all the way here on Black and Gold Banner at UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter, blackandgoldbanneret.com, part of the SB Nation Network, and also at facebook.com slash black and gold banner at you can follow us individually at jeff underscore sharon eric lopez elo and stat boy drew uh don't forget if you subscribe to our podcast we thank you so much make sure you leave us a comment and a rating uh and tell one of your ucf friends about us if not please do subscribe to us we are on apple podcasts and if you're an android user you can subscribe to us via spotify or wherever you get your podcast gentlemen what a week we actually just passed our sixth birthday here on Black and Gold Banneret. Six years this week, we've had the site. Boy, did we buy low and sell high, huh? <laughs> Jeez, Louise. September of 2015 was my first post on the site. Oof, oof, what a, what a start. Yeah, well, hey, buy low, sell high. That's what they, that's what they said in trading places. So, um, wow, what a ride it's been. We thank you. Th- thanks to everyone who's been so helpful to us all the UCF athletes and coaches and the SIDs and and the fans especially who've subscribed and read and listened and everything and we are eternally thankful for your attention it's a miracle sometimes I think that we that anyone reads or listens to anything that we do and so we're very thankful for you guys as always for Drew and for Eric I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you so much for listening this is the Black and Gold Banneret podcast we will catch you on the other side of the Big 12. See ya.